Welcome, you're listening to All Things Naval Aviation with your host, Rear Admiral John Meyer, Commander, Naval Air Force Atlantic. This is your host, Rear Admiral John Meyer, and today I am truly honored to have the Director of Navy History and Heritage Command, Samuel J. Cox, retired Rear Admiral. Rear Admiral, welcome. Thank you. So great to talk to you today. Well, thanks. I wanted to expand into your space, and as the Director of the Navy's History and Heritage Command, you take on a tremendous role of advising all of us and informing us, uh, reminding us of our of just that, our history, our heritage, our culture, the rich culture. And today I wanted to talk about, really about our Navy's response immediately after the Pearl Harbor attack on December 7th, 1941. As you know, uh, carriers were at sea, which was fortuitous for our Navy as the Japanese attacked at Pearl Harbor and other locations in the Pacific and really devastated our battleship and our cruiser Navy at the time. And if it were not for the carriers being at sea, the war certainly would have been much more prolonged and uh, at the very least uh, potentially would have uh, ended in a stalemate, although our industrial might really came to the forefront uh, and fortunately, we had uh, seen the storm clouds of war on the horizon and started building and purchasing and procuring some of the aircraft carriers that would actually carry the day uh, later on in the war. Can you talk about the immediate response from our carrier fleet following Pearl Harbor for a moment? Well, yes. I mean, uh, everything you say is, is right on the mark. I, I would, you know, add a couple things that uh, you know, the, the reason the battle fleet was in Pearl Harbor on that morning was because the aircraft carriers were gone, and they had left on uh, essentially what was national tasking, uh, taking aircraft that had been stripped from already inadequate Pearl Harbor defenses that were known to be inadequate. But the Pacific Fleet Commander's, you know, option was to keep the fleet at sea without air cover or to put it in port with inadequate air cover. Um, you know, there's this sense that, you know, before Pearl Harbor, you know, the battleship admirals, you know, didn't get it. Uh, battleships were sunk at Pearl Harbor, and then the aircraft carrier is supreme. It's much more nuanced transition than that. Uh, the senior leaders of the Navy before Pearl Harbor understood the threat from aircraft, uh, the aircraft carriers were critical to the defense of the battle line because everyone understood that the torpedo bombers from the enemy carriers were a mortal threat to the battleships at sea. So the primary purpose of the aircraft carrier was to take out the enemy's aircraft carrier before they could take your battleship. problem in the exercises is the carriers would generally kill each other on the opening hours of the war, and then the battleships and surface things would clean up, you know, afterwards. Uh, after Pearl Harbor, didn't really have that option. Um, you know, three of the battleships that were damaged were actually operational within two weeks afterwards because it's it's actually hard to sink a battleship with bombs unless you get a lucky hit like the Arizona. Uh, but they were also gas hogs uh, and slow. Uh, and so for the opening phases of the war, when you needed, you know, aircraft carriers to be fast and mobile uh, to start hitting Japanese 
you know, bases around the periphery. And then with the, the Doolittle Raid in April of 1942, which was the first time we struck back at a Japanese homeland flying, you know, twin-engine army bombers off of, off of an aircraft carrier, the Hornet, which, by the way, was actually the Navy's idea to do that. Um, the mobility of the aircraft carriers was key, and, and the battleships that survived Pearl Harbor couldn't keep up, uh, and there wasn't enough, not enough fuel to do them. So they got relegated uh, to a secondary position, you know, initially. Uh, the new battleships that came online uh, starting in, in 1943, uh, well, there were several of them that were online in uh, 1942, um, that once they carpeted them with uh, 40 millimeter, 20 millimeter guns and five inch guns with uh, uh, radar proximity fuses, then they could defend themselves quite well against aircraft and and defended the aircraft carrier as well. Uh, you know, the carrier was was earlier carriers were were vulnerable. Uh, we lost four of the seven that were operational at the start of the war. Uh, but we learned a lot really quick. So by the end of the war, with the Essex class carriers, uh, those several of those carriers took punishment far greater than those that sank the carriers at the beginning of the war, and yet they survived. You know, Franklin, Bunker Hill. Uh, but yeah, it was it was the the mobility of the carrier in the early days of the war that was the the critical. Uh, attribute that that allowed us to one slow down the Japanese uh, and then eventually start turning the tide. You touch on a host of really rich topics there. Uh, in particular, the innovation in the interwar period, and as the carriers came in, the uh, ability for early pioneers in carrier aviation to really develop the tactics that would uh, carry the day. Uh, ultimately at Midway and through the remainder of the war. The, the brilliance of the Doolittle Raid and the ability to launch that, uh, planned and led by a lieutenant colonel in the Air, Army Air Corps at that time, uh, fascinating. Hard to believe to me uh, at how junior a level some of those things were planned. But I'm, I think I'm most impressed with immediately after Pearl Harbor. Uh, we didn't sit back and lick our wounds, but our carriers immediately went on the offensive uh, very shortly. Within two months of Pearl Harbor, attacked Rabul, which was the large Japanese fleet concentration area. And then the Marshalls and the Gilberts launched raids. And it was, in my mind, the offensive capacity, the offensive power of the carrier air wing and the evolution of that through the war that really uh, brought the fight to the enemy. What was referred to as the Sunday Punch which was that offensive power of our carrier air wing at the time was 36 Hellcats, uh, 36 Helldiver dive bombers, and then 18 uh, TBF Avengers, which uh, we all remember that uh, President Bush uh, flew in World War II. But it was that offensive punch and that fighting spirit that really uh, took full advantage of the maneuverability of our aircraft carriers. Yeah, I mean, that air wing you described, I mean, that's a 1943-44, you know, air wing. Um, you know, in the early days, they were, you know, Wildcats, uh, TBDs, and Dauntlesses. And, uh, you know, key factor in the early raids was actually the code-breaking intelligence that could tell Nimitz 
that the Japanese carriers weren't anywhere near when we did those raids on Rabal and uh, the Kwajalein and and, uh, and in the Gilberts. Uh, and that allowed us to uh, get extremely necessary and valuable combat experience and essentially, you know, on-the-job training for our aviators because uh, we had a uh, overinflated sense of how good we were and and had really no clue how good the Japanese were uh, and in fact even after Pearl Harbor we still had this mindset because Pearl Harbor was viewed well that was a sneak attack it wasn't fair you know in a fair fight we're going to take them uh, and and then you know it turned out Coral Sea you know that was a we we lost as many as they did and and certainly in the surface actions around Guadalcanal, I mean, those were all knockdown, drag out, you know, even fights. It just we could replace the losses, and the Japanese couldn't. Same thing was true of their aircraft, as they kept their best pilots in the forward line until they died. Uh, and by October 1942, you know, well over half of their highly highly capable Pearl Harbor pilots are are gone. Whereas we started, you know, rotating our best guys back to train a new generation of, of really good pilots. So by the end of the war, you know, the average American, you know, Navy green pilot had, you know, 600 hours of training time and the Japanese were down to a hundred or less on their pilots. So, you know, and, and we also brought online better aircraft, but, you know, in the interwar period, you know, the, the pace of, of technological innovate, you know, we talk about the pace of change today, you know, I would argue you go back then, it's, it's, it's incredible how quickly aircraft development. I mean, we talk about, you know, the, quote, obsolete torpedo bombers at Midway that mostly almost all of them got shot down, the TBDs. Well, in 1937, those same airplanes were the state-of-the-art best in the world torpedo bombers in the space of only four years. They went from that to being, you know, inadequate to the task. I mean, that's just how fast things were changing during the interwar period and and the innovations that were brought to the aircraft carriers were um, you know they actually did things for like the enterprise yorktown hornet that we can't do today those those ships were designed so that that they could they could launch and recover aircraft while steaming backwards uh which they they viewed as a you know potential counter to you know if something was damaged or something they wanted the ability to to be able to launch and recover aircraft going either direction. And uh, we can't do that now. Well, when you talk about Coral Sea, that's really a, a fascinating battle from a historical perspective. Uh, it's the first time that combatants, surface combatants, engage without being in sight of each other. So it's the first time that the air wings fight uh, or attack each other's ships, but the ships themselves do not engage each other. And you're your point on the crypto analysis really can't be overstated. I mean, the advantage that that gave to Admiral Nimitz and really to the entire fleet in, the, in this battle uh, and really throughout the fleet set the stage for us to engage at Coral Sea. I think uh, my perspective is to perhaps lose tactically but win strategically because this was the first time that we that anyone had stymied the Japanese advance. and. Uh, while they took uh, some islands, they didn't take Port Moresby, and uh, that obviously flowed into Guadalcanal and 
uh, we were really hanging on by our fingernails there. But that sets the stage just a month prior to Midway. And one of the aspects of, of that that is most remarkable to me is the damage that Yorktown sustains in the Battle of Coral Sea. Limps back to Pearl uh, and the famous uh, you know, analysis as she comes into the shipyards when you look at the pictures, just huge holes ripped in her, in her side. Amazing that she actually made it back. And uh, the estimates are, you know, we can get her back to sea in 90 days. And Nimitz tells, tells the ship workers that you have 72 hours. And that 72 hours, that remarkable effort by our industrial base to restore that ship to fighting spirit. And she probably is the tipping point, although we lost her in Midway. Uh, without her, that's not uh, the level playing field that we went into Midway with, uh, with her there, even though she was uh, newly recovered uh, from her damage. Yeah, all of that is, is exactly right. I mean, the, the, the key to Yorktown, though, was that she didn't take a torpedo hit at Coral Sea. Um, and kind of the reason for that is the Japanese commander at uh, Coral Sea launched a, a really daring <clears throat> twilight raid to try to catch the U.S. carriers. That, that didn't work. And he wound up losing uh, a fair percentage of his... Uh, best torpedo bombers and, and pilots who, as they were flying over the carrier battle group, couldn't, our carrier battle group couldn't see it, but our radar saw the planes and, and our fighters actually ambushed them as they were going overhead. So the next day when, when the main Japanese attack came in to the Lexington and the Yorktown, uh, the Japanese were down a, a bunch of their, their best torpedo bombers and, and enough of them got shot down that the Yorktown came through without that. Uh, had she taken a torpedo hit, uh, you know, it would have been a completely different story. Uh, but yeah, the, the effort to, to repair her and get her underway uh, was, was a phenomenal effort on the part of the shipyard in, in Pearl Harbor uh, and certainly, certainly was key to the, the Battle of Midway because if she hadn't been available uh, it's probably unlikely that Nimitz would have risked, you know, two carriers against against at least four. They thought maybe there was five. Uh, you know, that that's a real sassy. Uh, but you know, f three against four plus another you know, 120 airplanes uh, from Midway Island itself. You know, we actually had more tactical aircraft at the decisive point of contact during the Battle of Midway than than the Japanese did. Uh, so, yeah, Yorktown was, the, that whole thing was key to the, the Battle of Midway. A couple points there. When you talk about the loss of the pilots and uh, the daring raid that ultimately ended up losing so many of their pilots from uh, the carriers. Uh, the Japanese, although they didn't necessarily lose the, the carriers, they had one bad, badly damaged and then they had suffered enough losses that effectively the air wing was ineffective. They did some things with their air wing carrier pairings that were really coupled and not interchangeable, certainly not as flexible as we were. And if you, you look throughout the war in the Pacific, we did such a remarkable job, such an investment to protecting our aviators, fishing them out of the water. President Bush fished out of the water by a submarine that wasn't just a chance happening. We would routinely put submarine pickets or other picket ships out. We had our PBYs out that were not only doing patrol work, 
but also recovering our pilots. And that played such an enormous role uh, throughout the war in the Pacific. Absolutely correct. Uh, you know, Japanese air wing composition organization was was different than ours in the sense that all of their um, um, repair maintenance was integral to the ship, um, and and their carry groups operated as an integrated pair, whereas ours were capable of, of independent operations. So after Coral Sea, you know, Chicago was badly damaged. Uh, and, and wasn't going to be repaired in time for Midway. But Zuikaku uh, could, she could have participated. Uh, her air wing had been uh, severely mauled at Coral Sea. But you can make a case that if the Japanese had really tried, they could have gotten the Zuikaku and an air wing to Midway. Uh, but they, were, they weren't organized. One, they weren't organized to fight that way. And two, they thought, well, we got four carriers, and they were sure they had sunk Yorktown. So they're thinking at most there's one other U.S. aircraft carrier out there. Uh, so, you know, four carriers is good enough. And, uh, you know, the, they were surprised when there were, you know, not only one or two, but, but three. And, uh, but, yeah, we went to great lengths to rescue uh, pilots. Japanese would, too. Uh, um, they, they do some pretty amazing things to save their own own guys that you know we kind of don't give them credit for. But uh, uh, the army, the army was totally dead. The army just squandered people like you wouldn't believe. Uh, but the uh, Japanese Navy was actually you know pretty good about trying to and would go to great lengths to rescue their own. That's I uh, wasn't aware of that, but it certainly helps when you. Uh, when you carry the field, so to speak. So at Midway, we certainly had the luxury of recovering uh, many pilots. And we lost a lot of pilots, but we recovered many. I don't think any Japanese pilots survived uh, at Midway, at least from the carriers that were lost. Uh, their losses were uh, devastating there in terms of pilots and aircraft. Uh, at least we fished uh, a bunch of ours out of the water that, that had been yeah, shot down. Yeah, actually, that's a yeah, common misconception about mm -hmm. Midway. Okay. It's actually... Uh, less than one quarter of the Japanese pilots who were there were lost. Uh, most of the ones that were on board the ship were actually rescued off those ships and, and lived to fight another day. And, and the 25% the that were lost were uh, almost all those from the Hiryu's air wing that in their strikes against the, the Yorktown. She was the one that survived the initial dive bombings uh, in the morning and lived to get off several strikes against uh, both of which which hit the Yorktown. Another amazing feat of damage control was, was that, you know, Yorktown got hit by, uh, by bombs uh, from the first strike from the Hiryu, and when the torpedo bombers were coming in, you know, 45 hour later from the Hiryu, you know, their, their mission was don't attack the same aircraft carrier, you know, go after a different one, but Yorktown had fix the damage from the bombs so fast that the torpedo bombers thought that's a perfect you know, it's a perfectly uh, good carrier so they went after the, the same ship twice so enterprise and hornet never even their their fighters engaged japanese but their anti aircraft gunners never never had to defend those two ships uh, but yeah mo that, most of the the japanese pilots actually did survive the battle midway and then it was Eastern Solomons and especially Santa Cruz 
uh, where where they just got you know the, the just the attrition rate was so high, and then the year of battle around Guadalcanal that by the time by you know October 1942, uh, you know well over half of their best pilots are, are gone. Well, there is nothing like talking to the Navy's historian to perhaps recalibrate uh, one or, or to tighten me up on, on my uh, recollection of history. I very much appreciate that. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is, those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And while we're clearly both students of history, I think our Navy is founded on the ideals of uh, the American fighting spirit and skill that carried the day in the Pacific certainly through uh, the battles that we discussed today, Coral Sea, the early raids, Midway. The aspect of learning from history is enormously important. And for our next podcast, I want us to shift the discussion now more towards the direction of the evolution of the air wing. We touched briefly on the points that the air wing did evolve. And the Sunday punch air wing that I referred to was a little bit later in the war, but it evolved rapidly. Uh, our evolution of the air wing today and the air wing of the future is just that on today's level of technology at range, uh, at extreme ranges, uh, at distance, bringing in low observables and unmanned aircraft. The carrier air wing of the day today has airborne electronic warning with our new E2D uh, Disc 3 aircraft with the E18G Growler and the advent of the next generation jammer pod, the F-35, the MQ-25, the list goes on and on and that evolution continues in naval aviation. And it's the lessons of how we trained our aviators, how we developed our tactics, how we developed uh, our material resources for the air wing advance, but also took such great advance, advantage of maneuver, lethality and the American ingenuity and fighting spirit that uh, will prevent or win the wars of the future. Admiral Cox, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you today on everything naval aviation, and I look forward to our next opportunity to discuss the future of naval aviation. Okay, thanks. Uh, having spent uh, many years of my career on board aircraft carriers, I have I definitely have a soft spot for them. So, uh, and I would only add that, you know, when people think of the Navy, they think of ships. They really should think of air power at sea because, you know, you command the sea by commanding the air over the sea. And, and we could get into that discussion some other time. That is a, a great note to end on. Again, thank you. And to all our listeners, uh, join us uh, for our next uh, discussion in a couple of weeks. I look forward to that. Uh, and we're going to basically move this around. We're going to try to get into some video uh, podcasts as well, perhaps at the Pensacola Naval Aviation Museum or some other uh, significant uh, historical sites. That's all.